welcome to another episode of Red Femme. My name is Jen Isaacson and I'm here with Hannah Raleigh. So hot on the heels of our Amber Heard trial appraisal, we're going to be talking about another incredibly happy topic today. Why the left are apologists for paedophilia. Or often are. Often are. And I think it's a really relevant conversation to be having given the whole groomer discourse happening recently around the American right of accusing um, mostly liberals and Democrats of being, uh, you know, apologists for pedophilia basically is what that whole mimetic occurrence is about. Right. Yeah, like with the child drag shows and everything, they'll put OK Groomer. It's become a whole thing. I mean, okay. to your explanation about why the left is shit on pedophilia. Um, I think it's, I, I, I basically don't think that there has been a true left sexual politics, really. I mean, since, since Engel's origin of the family, kind of the very foundational Marxist works on, um, women's oppression as a class oppression and the rest of it, there's been... I would call really embryonic development of a, of a radical sexual politics. You know, you hear people saying things like abolish the family, right? But when you kind of go, okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean like raising children institutions? Does that mean like a village for a child? Does that mean, you know, like what what is the particulars of that? It's because it's in the realm of women and the left historically has been so male dominated. There actually hasn't been a lot of thought put into this particularly. Um, and then you had um, radical feminism or second wave feminism, which one strand of that second wave feminism was radical feminism. There was liberal feminists around then as well, but um, who developed a radical sexual politics um, partially in reaction to the left. Mm. You know, that's a... Um, in the UK, certainly. And also, you know, also in... I think that in the in the states um, it was more of a reaction to free love stuff, and uh, the hippie movement and whatever, um, and also you know and radical feminism borrowed a lot from like black liberationist struggles and that sort of thing, but it was a reaction and a split from the left. So when communists call feminism quote unquote reactionary, they're not entirely wrong, <laughs> in that it's a reaction in, a, in a, to their to their failures of really developing a radical sexual politic. Um, but why? Why do children come under sexual politics? Why is it a women's issue? My explanation is that it's only really women, particularly mothers, keeping their children safe, right? Yeah, I, 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 well, I just don't think men on the left think very much about children. And I remember when I had these sorts of conversations when I was in and among people who called themselves communists. Um, it was like, oh, you know, in East Germany, they had uh, free childcare. In the USSR, there was free birth control, um, these which, is, which, is great. which is great and not reforms I'm against, but this is not the same kind of radical talk and radical language that they approach basically any sector in society, really. Right. I'm not, doesn't mean we're against those reforms or even think those reforms are wrong, but there's clearly a, if, if you're using the definition of radical is to get at the root. Mm -hmm. um, there's no thinking about getting at the root of things when it comes to women. And there's been like attempts and approaches and, and, and things done um, by a lot of Italian women, <laughs> mostly in response to anarchists <laughs> in Italy, right? Because that was kind of the the criticism of um, 
uh, of the anarchists is you don't care about women. So these um, Italian communist women tried their best to come up with kind of a theoretical understanding of the women question in the Marxist framework. So you have Della Costa and Federici and others. But the, um, the failure of socialist feminists has been to not name male violence and not name the, the sexual abuse, particularly of women and children. Yes. And how much of an epidemic it is. No, and they don't really have an explanation for it other than something that basically boils down to um, men are really sad about capitalism, so they come home and beat their wives, which to me is just very impotent. I think the whole tradition is pretty impotent. Mm. There's lots of like treatises written about whether or not domestic labor has exchange value or use value or something, but mm. like not, they don't really talk about rape. Um, so I think it's kind of relevant to the pedophilia question is like when you have this big vacant hole in analysis, basically, where you just start throwing shit at the wall, for lack of a better term, just throwing in some kind of liberal reforms and some, you know, recycled ideas and these reactions to anarchism. There isn't a <coughs> model of the family, really. Um, not one that I'm convinced that is, like, theoretically all that sound. I would say what's interesting is that the left, and I, I don't mean today's degenerated left, really. No. I mean, today we just have radical liberals who call themselves far left or socialists in the revolutionary sense, right? Like they want to go beyond reform um, or even even communists. I just think, well, a lot of you are either radical liberals or communists are just pessimists that become social democrats. and then they Or want cultists, like crazy sectarian yes. cultists yeah. yeah yeah every communist group is just a vanity project in the global north yeah it seems or a, a historical reenactment like larping society yeah histori pretend. historical reenactment society where we have nostalgia about the 1980s and you know because that was the last time or we really had 17 we pretty <laughs> sure. pretend we're living in like saint petersburg saint petersburg in 1917 but the 1980s was the last time people really remember class struggle in the UK, mm -hmm. being incredibly militant mm. in the way that it was. But even then, right, the paedophile information exchange, that was in the 1970s, mm. and it was this sneaking in of paedophiles in with sexual liberation politics around right. gay men and lesbians, and it went completely unchecked. And there was a meeting of PI, paedophile information exchange, and then the National Front, a far-right fascist group, Explicitly fascist, not just right wing, not just conservative, actually fascist. I protested it, and the left and a, an organization I was in, the Socialist Workers Party, like manned the doors and yeah. kept the fascists at bay for the, the pedophiles. For, so the pedophiles could get on with their <laughs> their, their nonce meeting, yeah, basically. Yeah. So I, what I find strange is that the left, which so wants to embed itself, so it, but even the left, let's say, like not today's radical liberalism, let's rewind the clock 15 years when there was a left that wasn't completely insane and wasn't just pretending pornography is liberate, you know, liberation for women or that um, men can be women or all these other things, right? Yeah. A proper left, however small it, it is because of the situation in the UK, whatever. Those people so want to be embedded in the working class mm -hmm. and they so believe we're the vanguard of the class, we have to learn from the class, all these kind of things. The working class is very anti-pedophile. Yes, they are. Yeah, right? I mean, this term nonce comes from my hometown, a very working class town, Wakefield. I mean, I lived between Wakefield and Barnsley. But Wakefield Prison is where it originated mm -hmm. and it's because sex offenders 
are not allowed to mix with the other prisoners because the other prisoners will kill them or seriously injure them. And so they would write on the prisoners' doors who were sex offenders, not on normal courtyard exercise. And the the acronym nonce Mm. became a way to refer to someone who was a pervert or a paedophile. And I think because the police have never really helped working class families, a lot of the time being able to identify the dodgy bloke on your street who you don't want your kid to spend time around mm. became important for working yeah. class parents to be like, Because oh, they're at work. They don't have yeah. Yeah, nannies and help and things. So yeah. they're like, oh, don't go near so-and-so. He's a wrong'un. He's a nonce. Or in fact, driving him out of the area by being labelled a nonce so that the guy goes and lives somewhere where there are, there are less children and less parents to be vigilant. And I, I think that it's incredible, the failure of the left, even in terms, even its own logic of wanting to <laughs> represent uh, the, and tie itself to the working class. Mm. But they're so behind on this. And the average person, it's incredible. And I assume it's because there's just never been this critique of anything to do with women in the family. And mm. that includes children. And the left have always, or left-wing men, this idea, you know, Andrew Dworkin says about they want women to be public property mm. honestly i'm not surprised that places like verso books say abolish the family well what do you mean because yeah. sebastian budgen the editor of verso books he has a wife and child yeah so what do you mean and yeah. what they mean is our vision for the future is not collective child rearing in the sense that we would want feminist collective child rearing where women together raise children and it means that they can have evenings off because their children are being looked after by other women who, you know, know how to look after children. Are not going to rape them crucially? Not going to rape them crucially. <laughs> <laughs> the number one recommendation for childcare. Um, they don't mean that, right? They don't have the feminist vision of there being women's collective child rearing. What they mean is we want a village to raise a child... Mm. And we want access to those children. That's right. And what it's about is not just... And and if you look at places where extended families live together, like South Africa is one and India is another. I bet Brazil is another because when I was in Brazil, I saw, you know, 12 people living in a room. That would be a Mm. whole family. It's the extended family members who are much more likely to commit incest. The male extended family members, which I know should go without saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what they want is for this to be less policed. They don't yeah. want children. I genu- And genuinely, this is what... I, and no, none of them have contradicted me. Whenever I have confronted a so-called Marxist man, who, by the way, they're all Foucauldians now. Yeah. They're all anti-state. Yeah, yeah. There's no longer this Marxist idea that the state is a site of tension, does good things, it does bad things. There is a world to win there. They're all anti-state. That's it. Yeah. Whenever I have confronted them about the paedophilia question... They give the cover story of, well, you know, I just, don't, I just don't want children to be prosecuted for having sex with yeah, each other. Yeah. Which feminist doesn't think that at fourteen, two fourteen-year-olds or a fourteen to fifteen-year-old snogging behind the bike sheds isn't normal? It's normal. We all kissed people at school when we were that age. Mm. <laughs> You're looking at me funny. Did you not? <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> I know you did. I did. It's a normal developmental stage. Stage. Yeah. And whilst I wouldn't recommend any young teenagers having sex with each other, actually, no one wants 14-year-olds prosecuted 
for, no, go, just, for going think... too far. This is a this is a nonsense. Like, this is no one's argument. What they're trying to do is frame our argument as that because it's ridiculous. Yeah. Rather than the, acknowledge the reality that our argument is no, 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 we don't want adults preying on underage kids. Yeah, I just felt the term nonce. Where I'm from in Vancouver, the equivalent term is goof, which sounds quite funny because it sounds a bit like. Uh, like a child's term, like you're goofing around. Or Goofy, the Disney or character. Or Goofy, the Disney character. And it is actually, it comes from prison, and it was the a goof in the prison hierarchy is like the, um, the, the lowest. lowest version. And I've heard many unfortunate stories of people saying, hey, stop goofing around in a bar in Vancouver and getting the shit beat out of them. Um, because it's also apparently, just it's just also a way to challenge someone to a fight is to go call them a goof. Like, if the interaction has gotten to a point where you're like, okay, I actually want to fight this person, right? is calling them a goof will send it over the edge. It's a way of challenging people to fighting you. Okay. Um, so, no, of course, working-class communities have this, this um, you know, to use a very liberal term, this community policing mm. of pedophilia. Because they're not going to get help from anyone else. Yeah. And you don't, you can't just have a house with, like, big gates and walls around yeah. where you shuffle your children to school. Your kids probably walk to school because you have to be at work by 8am. Yeah, exactly. But, um, no, and it, I'm glad you mentioned Foucault because this is the brainchild... This idea that anything that did not, that that oppression is not in the Marxist sense about exploitation, which is another loaded word that people misunderstand. Exploitation doesn't mean being treated badly. Exploitation is like a is a mathematical thing about having yeah. your um you know the 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 value of your labor extracted and in surplus value or whatever. So oppression doesn't become about exploitation or what happens to the physical body or anything. It becomes about denying pleasure. Yeah. Mostly to men. <laughs> that's what the Foucauldian understanding, even if that's not what he meant, right? Or doing whatever but, you want. Or doing whatever you want. There's All that the time. There's that amazing and excellent little paragraph that was written by someone on Tumblr that gets periodically shared on Twitter. And there are some excellent writers online who I just want to go, please write, like, publish your stuff. It's actually good. So there's just this anonymous person that I can't quote. But she, I'm assuming it was a she because Tumblr is a very female oriented place she was saying like they're just radical liberals it's denying mm. anything that i want i'm against denying anything that i want it's all about the individual it's all about what the individual wants and anything that circumvents limits says no is quote-unquote oppression so it yeah. stops becoming about exploitation it stops becoming about violence it's just this idea that limiting people which always means limiting men um, and particularly limiting um, sex yeah. in any kind of way. I think it's also important to like contextualize this in the context of the feminist sex wars. Um, you know, when that whole row was happening between uh, Andrea Dworkin and Gail Rubin and um, the the nonce um, poet Allen Ginsberg and so on. Um, that there was the the sex critical or the anti BDSM or the anti pornography lobby mm. basically lost um, that quote unquote sex war. They had a conference. They did not come out victoriously and culturally. Like Gloria Steinem, um, who there's interesting things to be said about Gloria <laughs> Steinem by the CIA. <laughs> but we can't. Uh, but the one Gloria Steinem quote that she said, maybe because of her CIA training, said that culture is successful politics. Yeah. And I think that she's 
absolutely correct that we see this unbridled, unbridled sexual access to everyone and everything at all times. But to follow the liberalism thing, yeah. liberalism originated in you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't harm other people, right? The harm so what they have to do yes. is pretend that this stuff isn't harmful to women and that fucking kids isn't harmful to kids. Yeah, which is what people like Peter Tatchell right. basically tried to say was like, oh, I've had friends who his exact thing was, I have friends, men and women, gay and straight, who had sex with adults between the ages of 19 to 13. Nine. Nine and 13, sorry. And didn't find them find this entirely harmful. Yeah. And the obvious... Or harmful at all. I don't even think he said entirely. The obvious response to this, I think, comes from Andrea Dworkin, where she talks about how child sexual abuse destroys people's sexual intelligence. She said sexual abuse in general, but particularly child sexual abuse, like rape and adult right. women as well. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think it's a surprise that somebody who was sexually interfered with or raped or whatever at age nine later on says, oh, no, no, that was fine. Same way I don't think it's a coincidence that people who are sexually abused as children are much more likely to go on to be abused as adults. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, and it's also a way of cognitively and psychically reframing the event so that it, your unconscious can cope with the trauma of what happened if you reframe yeah. the event. This is the, the explanation of why often um, women who have been sexually abused become hypersexual. Yeah. Rather than you would, because logically you'd think, oh, you would never want to have sex again after an well, experience that's the other like thing. that. That's the other thing that happens. But the other thing, but one or two mo yeah. modes. The other mode is hypersexuality, which happens because you're trying to make the event, the the, the harmful traumatic sexual event, as small as you can by drowning yeah. it out with other experiences, right? Um, I also want to say that Freud makes a very good point here about the ego, um, is or his theory. One of the theories of sexuality is that sexuality develops partly as a defense. Mm. And he kind of says things like, oh, well, sexuality is traumatic and blah, blah. I mean, he means something very particularly psychoanalytic there. He doesn't mean what feminists mean by trauma. But when he says that sexuality partly forms as a defense, I think this gives us an explanation for why the hypersexuality and mm. promiscuity then of some people that were abused as children, but also even... I remember putting this online, a lot of women were like, oh, yeah, what's this about? Because it just chimed with them so much. Why it is, in fact, that people will sort of um, think about those sexual memories in a different way. And my example is a friend of a friend who is from the Irish gypsy community, which is probably the, I think it, statistically it's the, the least well-off mm. category of community in the UK. It's kind of the last acceptable racism. They're the worst off group by a mile in terms of education, in terms of addiction, and in terms of sexual abuse. Now, sexual abuse of children is an epidemic across society already that is unacknowledged. But within this community, it seems to be particularly rife. Um, and there's, there's social reasons as to, as to why. Mm. He told me this story about, I think it might have been his friend's cousin, actually, who was a very unwell adult man who, like, travelled to London to meet the Queen. He thought the Queen wanted to meet him, <laughs> and he thought the Queen was trying to poison him. And, you know, interesting psychodrama. Yeah. Grandiose fantasies. Grandiose yeah. fantasies mixed with paranoia. Anyway, one of the things that 
my friend told me that this guy felt huge guilt because any time he would have sex, just like with his boyfriend and you know other adult men, completely normal sexual conduct, in order to climax, he would have to think about his uncle raping him when he was 11. Thanks. Now, we do actually have an explanation for that mm. in regard to the ego, it's, which is that the ego has certain defences mm. that to make horrific experiences less bad, they become eroticised. Right. And it works as a way to kind of... I mean, it, I mean it's completely... Um, Counter-logical or... It's not, and then it doesn't actually take away the trauma of those experiences, right. but as a way for your ego to process it, mm. one thing that can happen is that you can come to eroticize those experiences. Now, it doesn't mean you enjoyed it, it doesn't mean you want it to happen again, it doesn't mean you want to reenact it, or all this kind of stuff. I'm not drawing any conclusions from that, but I think it can help explain why some people who've experienced sexual violence... Why so many women have fantasies about sexual violence. Doesn't mm. mean they like sexual violence. It's yeah. because of the conditions they've been subject to and how their mind is coping with it. Right. And right. I think it's a a very useful theory from Freud. Yeah, really that, analysis. That sexuality partly develops as a defense. Mm. And I think I've been in some dangerous situations that I have definitely not exactly eroticized, but I've made less bad in my mind. Yeah. Through thinking about them with a, with a sexual lens, maybe more than a violent lens. Right. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm making a less violent encounter to myself. Yeah. So, it's inadequate. Right. Right? It's an inadequate response, but your ego is inadequate, actually. No matter how <laughs> well-tuned your defense mechanisms are. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I remember Andrew Dworkin said in a speech, she was just like, freedom of speech for women. She was talking about freedom of speech for women. Mm. Um, it, it depends on a total, a, an autonomy of the body and an integrity of the body that is absolute and cannot be violated. So we actually can't have freedom of speech for women if we still have rape mm. and child sexual abuse. Um, so profound is the effect of of child sexual abuse and, and the dynamics that you describe, um, that it becomes this snake eating its tail, honestly. And just the lack of kind of thoughtfulness that the left has. And I think that they, I mean, there's just the crude response of this is, you know, feminist identity politics and the personal is not political and um, this ridiculous... Um, quote-unquote, class-onlyism analysis, which, of course, means that women aren't a class and that yeah. racialized groups aren't classes and this sort of ridiculous Which thing. misunderstands Marx entirely. Of course it does. Yeah, of course it does. It's also really... Dep- it's it, And it's very um, chauvinist, and it's based on these myths like the white working class, as if the working class is white, mm. <laughs> which it's yeah. not really anywhere in the world. Um, so yeah, I think it's... But, but you know, actually, the class reductionism is male identity politics. Yeah, white yeah. Male, white put male it. left identity politics, because they're like, I'm not black, I'm not a woman, I'm not gay, mm. I'm a white guy with a job. Yeah. Actually, that's what I'm interested in. And I understand that people 
have a certain perspective. Like everyone has a vantage point. Mm. And it's not a surprise to me that there are some, you know, people in the West who don't understand imperialism. Why would you? No one ever invaded your country. Yeah. There's no one in your family that's been imprisoned or killed by an occupying force. Mm -hmm. That's your vantage point. And I'm not saying, oh, we all need to have more empathy or something. I find it incredible that people who are saying that they want to lead the world to liberation, though, cannot understand what it might be like to be somebody else when there's books about it. Or you can have conversations with those people. Yeah, and, like, I mean, the class-onlyest thing, I think it's important not to take online, like, chat room groups and this thing as, like, real political tendencies. And, right. and most of this stuff exists online, the class-onlyism thing, and I know we're kind of drifting here, but um, a lot of it is is a is a fallout from the alt-right, really. A lot of those men were on the alt-right in 2016, 2017, and then when that analysis didn't become good enough or they didn't want to be, like, traditionalist Christians or something, then they moved to this quote-unquote class-onlyism. Yeah. Um, I think it's a very common... And they have that kind of... Uh, it's interesting on Twitter and stuff. They have that 4chan style mm, kind humor. of humor and so on. So well, you it's can like tell the 4chan to trans pipeline. Very similar. The 4chan to tanky pipeline. Like, yeah, every which is not a term that I endorse. Hey, come on. I mean it in a I'm nice a way. I'm a few tanks ahead of Jen. You're a few tanks ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> still working on that Trotsky nonsense. Um, I'm still polishing my tanks, okay? They're not, they're not good to go yet. Uh, what was I going to say about... Oh, yeah, and this... Everyone should read... Angela Nagel's um, Kill All Normies. Yes. Um, it's really important. I don't think that the 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 phenomenon of the alt-right from, what, 2014 to 2018, I don't think it really is so much a thing anymore. Um, I don't think that political phenomenon, that political moment can really be understated. Mm. Like, just how important it was for a generation of young people. Um, both in response, like... How Tumblr and um, identity politics, crazy postmodern identity politics, existed in reaction to that. Um, and also where those men are now. Like, those men didn't die. They're very young. And we should think about where they are now. And that's not saying that I don't think these men can evolve and they won't be Nazis or, you know, alt-right lunatics forever. But, um... You said uh, they won't be. You mean they will be, right? No, no, no. I don't, not I saying don't they think will so. be. No, I'm not saying they will be. Yeah, I don't think yeah. they, they will be that forever. And I don't, obviously everyone's entitled to political growth and changing their mind or whatever, but I, I think it's interesting that a lot of this class only stuff, which, you know, does exist online, but interestingly has, I've seen it in some quote unquote political parties, one I can, in the UK that I can call to mind, um, we've well, had some run-ins with. The but. thing is, a lot of the, it is true that this, the kind of buttress against identity politics and saying, oh, this is identity politics. Mm-hmm. It is used then to say we don't need to talk about race and women. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. On the left. Yeah. I would say that that's not ever how I use the term identity politics. I really mean identitarianism. Yeah. And that's, that's what, what I and say. that's yeah. what Angela Nagel really nails in her book. And the backlash from the left for that book was yeah. immense. Yeah. Ash Sarkar, Richard Seymour, these kind of the Twitter commentaria. Mm. absolutely tried to stick the knife in and it's because she skewered them 
actually. Yeah. yeah. And she said, yeah, look, you're all postmodernists now. Yeah. You're not as reformists. You're postmodernists now. Yeah. You want to call yourself a Marxist, you're the Marxist Jordan Peterson's talking about. Yeah, There exactly. aren't real Marxists. Yeah, exactly. You're all Foucauldians now. Yeah. And you think that your uh, polyamorous uncle is an oppressed group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's interesting that that tanky slander was used against her. Tanky just means... Uh, I've read Marx once, apparently. That's, I think that's all that tanky, quote-unquote, means, that I'm not in favour of every imperialist war drive to destroy the global south. Or I'm a structuralist. Or, or I'm a structuralist, or whatever. Well, I think that from the comments she made on Tucker Carlson, she probably believes in socialism in one country. And that's a bit of the dividing line between... Socialism in one country is uh, not... Tanky does not make... Well, it's a nonsense slur. It doesn't yes, really okay. mean anything to be called... So It's like being called a turf. Should like we explain the term, though? It's because the Soviet Union rolled its tanks into Afghanistan and other countries to defend that society from their perspective. Yeah. And from the outsiders, Trotskyism is really just outsidism. From the critics... They said, oh, no, no, look, this is imperialism. You've rolled your tanks into another country. Just an absurd thing to say. Well, it's it's like the, we just want peace. You'd stop being anti-war, we want peace. Well, sometimes to get peace, you have to have a war. Or stop being anti-imperialist, we want peace. You should be anti-war, is what they say. Whereas peace is a very abstract concept. Like, I think peace involves having a planned economy. You yeah. Don't. So, this, what does this peace mean? This is a very abstract idea. Whereas throughout history, to have peace, people had wars all the time. Yeah, exactly. And some of them were necessary, like yeah. World War Two. Yeah, this is a really stupid um, response to uh, to people who are critical of you know what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, the the imperialist war drives in Afghanistan. These brutal military occupations that have killed. Thousands and thousands of people in the name of profit. That have bombed the place back to the Stone Ages, and then you wonder why but women... They're, yeah, are treated like they're in the Stone Age. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit... It's just incredible. But yeah, I to get back on topic, I think that the left, because of its total disregard mm. for anything to do with women's oppression... I mm. mean, when I was in the Socialist Workers' Party, if you were to talk about this kind of thing, you'd just get derided, like, oh, but that's just feminism. Right. Or right. someone would be talked about pejoratively as, oh, she's just a feminist. Right. Though when women would have conversations that were unpoliced by men, people were anti-porn. Yeah. Um, not so much in about prostitution, though, I would say. There was still the lie of, but they want this, they want full decriminalisation. If you listen to them, that's what they want. No, if you listen to them, the majority want to leave. Yeah. But again, it, I just think Andrea Dworkin, she was so prophetic yeah she was in how she talked about the farming model of patriarchy traditional patriarchy the farmer you know buys a woman at market from another farmer woman is a sexual resource you know she gets taken home to the barn and milked for the next 30 years in terms of domestic labor and having children and And blah blah she gets bred at home now there is the prostitution model or the brothel model the brothel model that's what she she called called it okay the brothel model whereby women have sexual access... Men have sexual access to women just through dating, and a woman will fuck dozens of men over her lifetime. And to bring it back to pedophilia, and men would like that to include sexual access to children. Yeah. Because male sexuality can be very pedophilic. pedophilic. Well, that's the thing that I... You know, whenever I bring this up on Facebook or wherever, 
If the example of a paedophile is a gay man, lots of gay men say, hey, 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 not all. That's gay men are like this. It's yeah. homophobic. Yeah. I'm like, look, I'm not saying this is only gay men. I know it's all men. Yeah. 98.5% of you, fine. Some of you, no. But if you ask men, honestly, what's the ages where you're most attracted to women? Yeah. They would probably say, I think, 14 to 21. Yeah, if they could bear to admit it. But yeah, and, and, and you, you know, women... I've experienced less catcalling yeah. after I turned 20. Yeah. The most catcalling I ever received is between the ages of 14 and 17. And other women... Have, there was a tweet that went viral with like 100,000 likes. It was like, I got the most catcalling in my life between the ages of 14 to 17. Yeah. Like, male sexuality can be very pedophilic. Like, the like schoolgirl, um, barely legal. These are massive, massive porn categories. Some of the most popular... Yeah, I certainly noticed a downtick probably once I turned 30 and I just stopped looking about 21. Yeah. It was just that I looked. And I I remember even coming home from my local train station around that age and I was holding a book of Freud because I was doing my PhD on Freud right at the time. And he said, oh, are you doing psychology A level? I.e. thinks I'm 16, 17, 18. And I just turned around and said, no, I'm doing a PhD on Freud immediate disinterest yeah because he found out that i'm probably 26 yeah yeah yeah. and that was it oh oh i didn't you know not for me yeah actually a woman they probably want to do this now there's a really good vice article Mm. where a woman who is i think she was 29 yeah she said as an experiment every man that approaches me i'm going to speak to him yeah and then she wrote about it and the disappointment they had when they found out she wasn't between 17 and 21. Yeah. She just said they would they would literally be like, oh, oh, I thought you were like uh, 19. She's yeah. like, no, I'm 29. So so what is it you wanted to speak to me about? Yeah. And she'd be assertive and they'd just flee pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So we have this like tendency in men towards pedophilia and then men pretending as if pedophiles are an oppressed, quote-unquote, an oppressed class. Because I mean, their sexuality is policed. Because, yeah, it's just the poli- any policing of sexuality is... You know. And I should say, we do live in a culture obsessed with youth, but women are not like this. No. All lesbians want to date someone four to five years older, ideally. Yeah. It's not always... It doesn't always happen. But if you could, that's what would happen. If you could... Right, that's like the same as straight women. Yeah. yeah I would yeah. say that's basically it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So if you get a- if a woman get asked Leonardo DiCaprio at 21 or Leonardo DiCaprio at 30, mm. the vast majority would say 30. Yeah, of course. And yeah. I think it's similar for lesbians. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's just like female sexuality doesn't... Value youth in the same way. No, no, it doesn't. Um... So yeah, it it doesn't make sense in this like it does make sense in this like Foucauldian, ridiculous. Let's celebrate whatever sexual degeneracy we can because any policing of sexuality at all is fascism or whatever. And I wrote about this in an article on on the woman question. Mm. But Foucault lists precocious schoolgirls or was it precocious schoolboys? Yeah, he says something about schoolgirls and schoolboys in a list of you know people mentally ill people who are put in asylums. Um, and wife beaters. Yeah. And the thing that unifies them is that they're all breaking the law. 
Yeah, so being opposed to the state. So it is fundamental to the state, and it's this really rigid, almost concrete, anti-materialist, anti-social relations critique where you just say, well, if it's against the law, that's it. As if it's only the letter of the law that ever matters. Yeah. Of course, it's the spirit of the law. In the end, it's ideology. Yeah. yeah. And it's just this, this anti-Marxist crap, and that is why Sartre called Foucault the last barricade of the bourgeoisie. Yeah. And what a barricade he's been. Yeah, Funneling Christ. anybody with any left-wing tendencies <laughs> into radical liberalism because the guy wanted to go to Tunisia and nonce kids in graveyards, yeah. which is what he was doing in 1963. In my hometown, kids would dress up as goths and go and kiss in graveyards, and it was like, oh my God, this is the most transgressive thing ever. <laughs> Foucault got their first fucking children on tombstones. Yeah, I know this guy is... Uh hero extraordinaire but it, it is it is and you see it like i think it's also we haven't really talked very much about pornography but you know there has been this huge massive normalization of dangerous um al- what were at once alternative <laughs> sexual practices um that involved like extreme submissiveness extreme dominance quote-unquote age play um, there's one of consensual non-consent. It's like a, it's like how Dworkin talked about pornography being the um, the Pentagon, right. the, the Pentagon of patriarchy, kind of where the nuts and the bolts and the theory of patriarchy is worked out, mm. uh, where the where the intellectual work goes into the functioning of male dominance, um, and we're seeing more in pornography now, and it's and it's. Um, well, it's mass dissemination, it's right? It's mass dissemination. You have, like, 14-year-old girls um, talking about how they like to be kicked in the face by their daddy dom or whatever. On TikTok. On TikTok. It doesn't... It makes total sense for me that in this context, in this time, we would see a re- resurgence of, like, pedophile activism. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's... And because there isn't... The left hasn't doesn't have sexual politics, per se. The Marxist left, the left that we're talking about, mm. doesn't really have a coherent sexual politics at all. I, sh- I should say, actually, about what happened with the Socialist Workers' Party a decade ago when there was this massive split and I left in one of these waves. It was mm. because a member of the Central Committee had sexually assaulted two teenage girls, one of which he'd orally raped a 17-year-old. But this was passed off as, well, they were in a relationship so heterosexuality, people are very honest about it. Yeah, they are. They actually yeah. are very honest about, well, if violence, sexual violence happens between men and women, this is just a relationship. Yeah, it's a relationship. It's, it's always a cover story. Well, they were in a relationship. As if, that, as if you can't sexually assault your partner. Yeah. Of course you can. Of course you can sexually assault your partner. You know, the, the idea that the category wouldn't fit. Anyway, this guy... He's known as Comrade Delta. That's his euphemism mm. talked about on the internet. And I remember sort of being a bit confused about what happened because I went to a meeting and Alex Kalinikos and or Professor Alex Kalinikos of King's College and others stood up and they kind of made these ambiguous overtures about moralism and stuff. Right. I, I just thought, has he had an affair? And yeah, we're yeah. all being British about it and being like, oh, an affair? <laughs> oh, we're not French, you know. We're not used to this kind of thing. 
so I just thought, yeah, is everyone going a bit crazy because something actually quite normal happened or what? Like, I couldn't right. understand what the fuss was about because no one wanted to name the fuss. Right. And then, unfortunately, this girl's friend stood up and she didn't name the fuss either because she was intimidated by a load of people who'd just given a round of applause and, like, tub-thumped for Comrade Delta. And actually, it was that, yeah, he was accused of rape and sexual assault of two teenage girls. And when I asked people... Hey, 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 what's going on with this? What's the real story? They just said he was in a relationship with a 17-year-old girl. And I was like, oh, isn't that a bit dodgy? Yeah. And they said, oh, that's moralism. Yes, yeah. You're damn right it's moralism. You think I don't have morals? And my friend, Grace, who you've met in the party, who was a kind of sober-minded Irish woman, salt of the earth, (laughs) you know, and she said, yeah, this is what is called taking advantage. He's taking fucking advantage. He's a middle-aged guy who was de facto the general secretary of the party. He was the most powerful person on the central committee. And he's off shagging FE students. Yeah. <laughs> like, hanging out around outside six forms, you know, with his socialist worker newspaper. He's taking fucking advantage. And this guy was in a relationship with a, wo- with a woman his yeah, own an age. Yeah, adult woman, yeah. On the central committee as well. Really, she was the one that was against pornography, she stood by him, lots of people stood by him, and the party kind of split over this. And yet, incredibly, the left never thinks, you know what, in order to save our own house, mm. maybe we should develop a sexual politics. Maybe male sexuality needs some limits because it destroys our organisations. Yeah, and to say as someone who had some involvement with people on the other end of the... Uh to say euphemistically, on the other end of the um, socialism in one country versus uh, permanent revolution line than you were. I you got to say this for normal people, sweetheart. Just give a little explanation. What well, does that Stalinist mean? Stalinist versus mean? Trotsky. Stalinist versus Trotsky. Okay, fine. In a, crudely speaking, yeah. um, as someone who's had kind of more experience on the other side of that, um, you know, the line from that political milieu, which I don't think is as that you heard very much in the Socialist Workers' Party. Mm. Um, who are Trotskyists. Who are Trotskyists. Um, was... I, I don't want to say that I'm a Stalinist on here. You're not a Stalinist. I'm not a Stalinist. You're just not a Trotskyist. I just wanted to leave it a bit of a euphemism for those yes, who right, know. Go on. Um, so, yeah, for the for on the other side of kind of um, communist and socialist organizing spaces on a different end of the political spectrum from that... Um, compared to permanent revolution kind of people, more people on the um, socialism one country side, there was this um, constant fear, paranoia about um, about the police and about being infiltrated by law enforcement and about um, um, intelligence agencies, which is like um, not unfounded, like the COINTEL Pro in the United States took down the Communist Party USA. Every left organization in the America has been destroyed by the CIA systematically. But it's not happening today because there isn't a left worth infiltrating. Exactly. Which is what MI5 said when they reviewed the <laughs> Socialist Works Party in the 90s. Yeah. They just said, these people aren't a threat to the state. Yeah. Um, and they were right. Anyway, so then it became that the narrative I started to hear was that the sexual assault allegations were CIA mm. and were CSIS and were MI5. It's the conspiracy against the good man. It's the conspiracy against the good man. And you know what? To a certain point, I was like, yeah, the lengths that they went to to infiltrate, they did pretend, they married people, 
they broke into people's homes, they tapped people's phones, like, this doesn't seem out of the thing. But now that I have my, like, a feminist analysis, it's just because there's a, it's just male sexuality yeah. ruins every good political project. And just to say what you were saying about the left having a political, not having a sexual politic, they're like, well, why don't you see this happening in the right wing? Because the right wing does have sexual politics. Yeah. They're not good sexual politics. I don't like them. But there is some policing of male sexuality. The right happens. wing are sharks. I mean, yeah. look today regarding Boris Johnson. Yeah. Do I think they really care that this guy, David Pincher, uh, do, do I think their heart bleeds for the fact that he groped several women? Yeah. Well, maybe not in itself, but now they're certainly saying he's got to go and Boris backed him, so he's got to go. They, yeah. They're sharks. Yeah, they do have... They smell blood in the water and they attack. Well, also they have traditionalism and they have, right. they have an actual, I mean, it's not sexual politics I agree with or like, but they're, they have um, some policing of male sexuality that happens within yeah. traditionalism. And even in the, what Stuart Parker calls the porno left, which is the 4chan <laughs> left, the Trump left or whatever, um, there are, sexual politics exist. Mm. Whereas on, on the left, there isn't really sexual politics other than this everything goes. They pretend any sexual politics is a moral panic. Yeah, yeah as any. That's what they say. And this idea, oh, moralism is bad. It's like, why isn't what's moral and immoral political? Why can't I comment on morality? Yeah. What a silly standard. Politics is applied ethics. Yeah, it's everything about morality. What is this thing we can't, and it's so funny you say that about the moralism and the, the thing I heard about a man in his 40s um, sleeping with and partnering and eventually effectively marrying in a common law sense an 18-year-old was that this was ageism. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. Well, it's that's, just very... that's what they say probably about pedophilia. Yeah. That's say, probably yeah. that book we were looking yeah. at tonight that Peter Tatchell has a chapter in. Mm. He talks about age of majority and age of consent. Mm. This is all about making it so that adult men can target children yeah yeah exactly and the the ones that even you know want to target 18 19 year olds don't get considered pervs when they are and to be clear i'm not saying that right-wing patriarchy doesn't facilitate child sexual abuse or doesn't facilitate pedophilia it does in isolating women and children in the home with one man and the rest of it um obviously it's about securing sexual access to women and children in another way my point is is to say that when there is a void of sexual politics, when there mm. is nothing to speak of, <laughs> it leaves the opportunity for pedophilic men to come in. But, th but this is what I am so surprised about, though, is that the left has seen this collapse organisation after organisation, mm. and they still will not say to these men, you know what, you need to fuck off. If they just got rid of Comrade Delta, and I think yeah. in the end he kind of had to go anyway, yeah. but they just said... What the fuck are you doing? We believe that we're the salvation of humanity, that the That's revolution right. is around the corner, that we're going to have, you know, utopian socialism. And you're thinking about your dick. Yeah. Fuck off. I just don't... If, if they really believe this, if they really believed that what they're fighting for is human liberation, why would it be this inalienable right... Right. That these powerful men yeah. just get to target underage girls. And to give a really clear example from British and Irish politics, Jerry Healy, this guy is very famous, he's a political activist, co-founder of the International Committee of the Fourth International, mm -hmm. right, born in 1913. So this, he died in 1989. So this was during the period when socialism in the global north had a bit of a chance, had a much yeah. bigger fucking chance than it has now. This guy was the head of the 
Socialist Labour League and later the Workers' Revolutionary Party. He used party-bought properties mm. to rape women and girls in. Yeah. That's what he organised. That's what he was actually acting on and thinking about. He wasn't thinking about what would Lenin do the or brave, the working class. The working class. Yeah. How do we end world suffering? The brave new world that we're building. He was like, how do I get that 15-year-old into that office alone? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is a madness. And do you know, just to say, after the Socialist Workers' Party split, the first wave, I left with the first wave because I was like, I have to leave after yeah. this. Yeah. The first opportunity when people left, I was like, yeah, I'm leaving with them. The, uh, the We formed something called the ISN. Mm. International Socialist Network, a little group. We didn't. We everyone just thought, well, you know what can be done with this. Same thing fucking happened again. Yeah, a man was accused of sexual assault. A woman wrote about it. He sexually assaulted her at a party in a bathroom. At which point, a kangaroo court was created with his sister on it, mm. and he was exonerated. The exact same thing that happened in the Socialist Workers' Party, the people that said they were outraged about that, did it within two years of their own organisation. And just to say about intelligence agencies and law enforcement, um, it's not as if you you give them gifts. by the, if, if really you yeah. think that the intelligence apparatus of the global north <laughs> is after your socialist organisation, all they need is a sex scandal. And they don't need to create one because you stupid fuckheads do it for them. Right. That's exactly... So it would happen with ISO, though, I, to be honest, I've tried to look online. Let's explain what it is. Um, the International Socialist Organization, which was the sister... Organization to the Socialist Workers yeah. Party. And, and so to be clear, these were the biggest groups on the far left for the last 20 years. Well, CPUSA, I think, might have been bigger, but okay. it's the biggest Trotskyist... Okay. In the Trotskyist world, yeah. So ISO, which we lovingly call the International Suburban Organization. <laughs> <laughs> but ISO, it was very odd. It was like there was these these stories of sexual assault and that it was rampant and massive and everywhere. Um, at every level of the organization, just total mishandling of, of sexual assault. And then the organization disappeared... Um, and then the next summer, maybe those of you who remember this better than me and, you know, were paying attention more and maybe we were in America, I wasn't, but the next summer, the entire ISO apparatus, if I remember correctly, was taken up by Democratic Socialists of America. Yeah. So this ISO conference became the Democratic they, Socialists they, of America conference. They dissolved into the Democratic Socialists. Not formally. Not, Not formally. formally. They didn't say no. Let's no, no. explain what the the DSA is. It's the, okay, it's, uh, yeah. it's a very left wing group within the Democratic Party in America. Very left wing. They're the CIA created, in my view, um, controlled opposition within the Democratic Party. In okay. my view, they, the fact they're allowed can, to exist in the United States means that I not. know more what happened. Yeah, it was that there was a rape or multiple rape accusations yeah. against yeah. a leading member. Mm. The, which is what always happens, it was mishandled, yeah. the women complained, there was a stitch-up, because when you make a complaint, you're regarded as the problem. The complainee is always the problem, and that's what needs to be resolved, and nothing happened. Then, years later, five, six, seven years later, mm. the people who mishandled the complaint and exonerated the rapist were all elected 
right, to a committee. That's what happened, yeah. At which point, the membership who were against them, whoever it was that hadn't voted for them, said, hey, these are the ones that had the kangaroo court that exonerated a sexual abuser. They're not fit to be elected. Mm. Oh, then it was all out, you know, war inside. And then in the end, they just burned the village to the ground. And they re-emerged as the DSA conference. My point is, what I was trying to say was that absolutely, in my view, the the CIA, the FBI, the United States intelligence apparatus took the fall as the ISO to create the DSA um, in order to create a controlled opposition within the Democratic Party. That was when it began. Um, it was around before, but it was very odd that the ISO conference became the DSA conference overnight. And yeah. people who were in the um, ISO um, membership and leadership suddenly were in the DSA leadership overnight. Yeah. The whole thing was about absorbing it into a more controlled opposition, we, we in should, my view. We should ask Sherry Wolf on, yeah. who was an organiser for many years, mm-hmm. and ask her. I don't think she'll come on, though. She was an organiser for the ISO mm-hmm. for many, many years. I always admired her as a kind of working-class lesbian New Yorker mm-hmm. type. Mm. But I think she's very liberal now, particularly yeah. on the trans question. And right, yeah. To explain why Foucault is anti-Marxist, when Marx was first writing, he was precisely writing, you know, these, these essays on the Jewish question are about, uh, you know, discussing with Bruno Bauer and oppo- you know, arguing with him, how is it then, Bruno, that if the state guarantees equal rights... It cannot deliver them. People do not have equal status. And in Mm. practice, those rights are not actually realised. There's Mm. a lot more going on than the state. This is why he started thinking about the economy, material social conditions. Ideology. Ideology. So if we go back to Foucault, we kind of rewind and erase all of Marx's thoughts. Mm. And we're just focusing on the state. Going, hey, state, change change clause 14b. I just don't understand what's particularly extraordinary about Foucault. I, I mean, this idea that things are like, like mental illnesses are socially constructed. Wow, like it's no not, one's thought not, of this before. I, I don't. I mean, I've, uh, people say that there's some interesting stuff in there. I don't. I don't really understand what's particularly extraordinary about it. To be totally honest, he was, he was writing at a particular time in a particular way, mm-hmm. and so someone said to him once, "Why do you write in this complicated way?" And he said. Given my context, this was in French academia in the 1960s in mm. you know Paris and this hyper-intellectual culture to the degree where it was farcical at its yeah. at a certain height. He said, if I spoke plainly, no one would listen to me. Mm. So him and Lacan and others, they would do these seminars, lectures basically every week, and people would go and listen and then they'd be recorded and you know, Foucault's not wrong about institutions. No, he's not. But there's a certain misinterpretation or there's a certain, um, I would say that it's not even necessarily just misinterpretation, that there's a certain, uh, like, I don't, I want to say he's going too far. What can I say? Inappropriate extension of. No, that, yeah, there's a, cer- there's a certain way that he extends what he's saying to mm-hmm. the point that it becomes ridiculous. Yeah. It's not the case that simply sexuality and mental illness as subjective forms have been constructed by psychiatrists or people writing, you know, sexologists. This is, by the way, the same thing right. that Sheila Jeffries would yeah, say. it's a very radical feminist it's, thought. It actually. is. 
and they're both wrong. It's that the way that people think about these things mm. within discourse, this is the, the phrase they all love in Lacanism, Foucauldism, within discourse, so within how we think about the world and how we talk about it, yes, things are constructed in this way. But you know what? Sorry, post-structuralists and sorry, linguistic feminists. Mm. Things, th things are not, at the final analysis, constructed by language. I just, I just had the thought occur to me that, you know, we're having this massive attack on women in the form of transgenderism and gender identity, and the whole thing is about how women exist materially, mm. um, how women are not a thought, women aren't an idea in a man's head, women aren't a, a social construction, yet there are feminists who talk in such a socially constructionist way. Yeah. I think really the way forward always... <laughs> is dialectical materialism and to have a material analysis of things we're at the moment fighting for women to exist mm. materially and physically this whole thing is about women don't exist physically yes that's what transgenderism is yeah women don't exist materially and physically and for women to then be using this kind of oh if you use this sort of language it creates that sort of reality this kind of same logic it is it's linguisticism yeah exactly. and it's part of the linguistic turn that infected the western academy yeah and it's not that i don't think that language is important i mm. agree with derrida about books mm. i don't think the text exists i think it's all interpretation sorry orthodox aestheticists right. <laughs> you know i really i really do think that but there's books and then there's real life yeah and i get that there's this thing of well you know we're gonna apply it to real life don't please mm. don't but yet this idea that things are about language and it's the same right like like sheila jeffries once had um a brief conversation with me where she said oh we're socially constructing things all the time how we talk to each other what we do day to day it's the same thing that Judith Butler believes. Yeah, it's Judith Butler. Do I have the power to socially construct things more than the state or the way that the economy works and the way that social life has proceeded for the last 100 years? Mm. We're living in the legacy of the past. Please, let's just return to historical materialism and have some kind of grasp on the present. It's not about simply words. I do understand that it's about, you know, controlling the way people think, but everybody who says trans women are women, mm. knows they're men. Yeah. Everybody. Exactly. Because that's why they're there defending them and not saying a fucking word about trans men. Because they know they're women so they can be forgotten about. Yeah. It's so obvious. It's so clear. And I don't care what someone has to say. I know you're lying to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um. Yeah, so we've drifted away from paedophilia. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked about the, the, the limits with the left and I suppose some of the limits with feminist thought that followed them. But that that is really... We, I don't think we have a theory of social constructionism that beats Marx. No, we don't. Never will. <laughs> well, who knows? But I, I feel like ideology, especially because it includes material life... I just, I can't really understand how else we could discuss these things other than mm. thinking about, you know, systems of value, mm. um, imagined conditions versus rea the reality of conditions. How the past affects the future. How the well, how you can't, history informs You the can't present. even get away from the past. No, things can't. take so long no. to change. Yeah. And ideology is so handed down. And I feel like 
I don't know why there's this wish to not read people like Althusser and Marx. And to be clear, Althusser murdered his wife, and I think he should have been shot in the head for it. Yeah, and Engels uh, slept with prostitutes and yeah, other things. But the idea that those books are not such a valuable resource, mm. I, I find it, you know, it's a shame. And neither the left... You know, I'm not just saying feminists, for God's sake, read Marx. <laughs> the left needs to fucking read them, first of all, because they're the ones saying they're Marxists when they are actually anti-Marxian by almost every measure. Honestly, I'm happy for you not to read Marx. Just put down Tumblr. <laughs> like, honest to God, I don't even need you to be, yeah. like, a scholar in Marx. Just literally step out of this matrix of horse shit mm. that you've co- constructed around yourself. Yeah. This kind of... Not even truly Foucauldian, but a weird shadow of Foucault, like yeah. like Diet Foucault, like the little um, McDonald's Happy Meal version of well, Foucault. Well, it's kind of but- butlerism. And, 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 you know, butler, I'm not trying to say that they're watering down butler to say butler is great, but it is also watered down butler. Yeah. You know, this kind of fake, um, bizarre identitarianism, and just, just for a second think about things. And really, like... I I just wish that young people would have some critical thought. Like, I just don't see a lot of, like, real desire to think, why do I think this? How did I arrive at it? What what knowledge did I have beforehand that informed this point of view? I just don't see any of this. Maybe it's because I had all of my formative experiences on the internet, and yeah. the internet isn't real life. Yeah, or, you know, I was following people who were misguided, and I have some new... Like, I don't see, when I talk to kids on TikTok... <laughs> when you're forced to interact <laughs> with them. forced to interact with them. And I do interact with them a bit because it boosts my engagement and I get some more views. But there is a there is a um, total lack of ability to critically think about anything. But given, I, given the society we live in, I'm not surprised. And it's also also very American. It's it's um, There's two kinds of politics, right-wing and left-wing. Right, very bad. Left, very good. The left is just liberal. It's actually what the Democratic Party says. Yeah. So we're pro-war, we're <laughs> pro-identity politics. Um, you know, we don't really actually talk about things like healthcare and um, whether or not people have... And the right to education. And the right to education. And the right to housing. No, we just talk. Those things are called socialism and they happen in Latin America and they're very bad. Yeah, they're very bad. They happen in Russia and they're terrible. Putin probably is one still, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. King socialist himself. Mm. Anyway, I think that's a good place to end. Okay. We're not Putinists, to be clear. To be clear. Though I do like those white Russians. The, the white Russian drinks are great. Yeah. And I do think Crimea should get water and like kind of other basic human rights stuff and um, Donbass and the ganks. So. Shocking. Shocking. Hang your head in shame. I know. I think, you know, Russian-speaking people in Ukraine should have self-determination. And if they want to have a referendum where they join Russia... Maybe we should allow them self-determination. And also, maybe we shouldn't be bombing the shit out of them in, like, a ridiculous proxy war for almost... How many years is it since 2014? Eight, eight years. That's a whole other episode. Yeah, that's a, let's do another episode. <laughs> About Ukraine. Okay. All right. Tune in next time. Okay, bye-bye.